everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some things we should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we talk about the weather because we're old and it's really hot outside. Yeah, we're going to sound, I'd imagine, a little echoey or some, or probably like we did back at the beginning today because it is ungodly hot. We have been in a heat warning since Friday. We're recording this on Saturday. It's supposed to last through at least Wednesday. So you are getting to hear us recording from our bedroom and our microphone is inside of a cardboard box, which is even not, it's not as high tech as even we had back when we started. We had a cardboard box with insulation foam. Yeah, and we had a computer and a, like a mic that was made specifically for this. This is our we use. This is the mic we use, but it's attached to uh, standalone mics usually, and yeah. today it's not. So it might sound a little different than usual. Just bear with us, because dear lord, it is a billion degrees. It's like it's just bad, and it's, apparently it's like everywhere is bad right now. So you know what we're talking about. Yeah, unless you're outside of America, then I mean you still probably know what we're talking about. But. And better news, we saw a good place too yesterday. We actually went to the movies and, you know, we wore our masks, even though there was a big sign saying you only need to have it if you're not vaccinated. And we were the only ones there not wearing our masks. And given the statistical, um, the statistics around here, those people were not all vaccinated. Yeah. And it's like we're doing better than like the surrounding areas a little bit, but we're also like right in the heart of where the debt where the Delta variant is tearing the heart out of America. Yeah, and the Lambda variant just arrived in the States, um, the first proven case. But we saw a quiet place too. And I'll say like, this is, I'm giving no spoilers because it truly is good and you should go see it. So I'm going, but I'm going to give the, the one of the highest pieces of praise I can give movies, which is John Krasinski, who, you know, ran the whole show, assumes the audience is smart. Yes. We are not spoon-fed details. We are, it is assumed that we understand to a certain extent what is going on at all times. Yeah. And I really appreciate it when a movie does that. Yeah. It was a very much a show-don't-tell movie. I mean. Which is so good. Which it kind of has to be given the nature of the movie. Um, The fact that it is literally about having to be quiet all the time. But also, you know, we got in the conundrum. And if you've seen the first movie... And this is not a spoiler for this one at all, um, of the baby. So, okay, you're in a over a year long assault on humanity and you get pregnant during this period. Now, logically, you know that unless you can go find some doctor somewhere, which there doesn't seem to be any, you can't safely terminate the pregnancy, which goes back to the problem that was posited on MASH and like a variation of the trolley problem. Knowing that the baby is the most likely thing to get you killed, do you choose yourself and the and your older family members and eliminate the baby? Or do you choose to keep the baby alive knowing that it could result in the deaths of all of you? It was like this like conversation we had afterwards. And there isn't an answer. It's like, like the trolley problem, there isn't a perfect answer. Like I can I my, the best answer I can think of was like in nature, if like a hamster has babies and there's not a lot of food, the hamster just eats the babies. Because if I die, the babies will also die. But if I eat these babies, I can survive and have more babies. So obviously, the answer is eat a baby. Unfortunately, that's the answer to most things with him. So I wouldn't trust him. Come on. Like, it's like, hey, how do we get stains out of shirts? Eat a baby. It's like, but these stains are from eating babies. It's like, ugh, whatever. Yeah, he now has a special baby eating shirt. 
I can't be able to stop him from eating the babies. So he has a shirt he has to wear when he's eating the babies so that I don't have to keep watching baby blood out of all of his clothing. If we, if you would just let me get that, like, you know, lobster bib, but instead of a lobster on it, there's a baby to protect my clothes. Even though I do realize the hilarious irony of wearing a bib to eat babies. This is a weird conversation, for, even for us. Yeah, I think we should just get into it. <laughs> Let's get started. Now, I started last week talking about the Mercury 13 because last week Wally Funk was going to be going into as far as you can go without being into space space with Jeff Bezos, his brother, some 18-year-old from Europe. Riding a giant dong. Okay, seriously, weeks ago, weeks ago, and Austin and one of our listeners can vouch for this. I sent a message to them with a photo of the ship and a photo of a certain toy and said are these not the same thing and so i called this weeks ago how do people not just realize this when they first saw it that it looks like the uh oh i don't i don't know what it is but it's sold on amazon (laughs) which i thought was hilarious (laughs) uh yeah so wally funk finally did get to go up and kind of to space um She's had differing reactions ever since. Like, obviously, it was like the greatest thrill of her life. And at the same time, she was like, you know, it was too small. We couldn't get around. We kept bumping into each other. It's made to hold six people. And there were only four in there. It was way too crowded. But Wally's like, I'm gonna do it again. If I get another chance, I'm gonna do it again. And if anybody deserves it, it's Wally Funk. And we'll be talking about her. Now, I said last week, this is gonna be a two-parter. It's a three-parter. I've lied to you like this before. You should be used to it by now. It comes down to... Okay, I know this will shock all of you. I clearly don't do all of my research. I research as I write for this purpose. And so it just gets more and more in-depth as things go. For this one, this is part two of what will definitely be a three-part series. Because this turns into some soap opera reality show drama bullshit. Oh. So let's jump into it. So last week, I I ended by listing the 13 women who were part of the Mercury 13. But actually, at the beginning, 24 women had been invited. 18 of them accepted. Lovelace began to do testing. Uh, Randy Lovelace, who was running the Lovelace Foundation that was doing these, with Jerry Cobb, who was one of the final 13 at his side. She'd been there from day one. As these things usually do, though, stuff began to leak to the media. Jerry Cobb was like, okay. Well, if this is going to be out to the media anyway, I'm going to stay on top of it. And so she was made sure she made sure she was the one to stay in the press, that the other people involved weren't being put out to the press. And she started getting the public to get pumped about the idea of there being a woman astronaut. NASA, though, was like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing that. Stop it. Stop. Stop. No. Because Randy Lovelace does work for NASA, but this was all being done independently by him. So they couldn't and they couldn't really stop him because... Since NASA is a civilian organization, they don't have the authority, so long as it was not interfering with his actual job, which it was not, which actually becomes a problem as part of this later. (laughs) So NASA kept clarifying that they had nothing to do with the testing of women, had no plans to send a woman to space, but the public did not understand that places other than NASA can do these tests. So the public seemed to actually believe this was all NASA. Jerry, like I mentioned last week, didn't like being in the limelight, but this was bigger than her. And even if it wasn't her, she wanted to make sure women got to go to space. So she was like making sure that she got to be there. Then Jackie Cochran shows up. Y'all have not heard the name Jackie Cochran yet. Jackie Cochran is a major part of this story. 
She heard about all of this and went to Randy Lovelace and wanted to know everything. Now, at this point, she had just become the first female president of the Federation Aeronautique Internationale, but this was a new thing, and she wanted to be involved with that, too. Somehow, by November 1960, she had wedged herself into this program. Uh, She was in her 50s. She was not one of the 13. She had not been contacted about any of this. But it probably helped a lot that she was very, very rich, and her husband, Floyd Odlum, was chairman of the Loveland Foundation Board of Trustees and had given a lot of money to the organization that was paying for all of this. And she was really good friends with the Lovelaces. Randy did respect her, and she was good at what she did, and she was a pilot and all of these things. She just didn't meet the qualifications that they'd set forth. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere... Jerry, uh, uh, not Jerry, Jackie decided, I am a consultant for your program. What? And started to push Lovelace to invite more women because she believed women, like only 18 had accepted. This is stupid. Women are not going to be able to do this. You need to have more women so that you can get some who are actually able to do it. Good job, Jackie. Good feminism. Um, Although she had previously been a wasp, which we had, we've talked about in a previous episode. And, um, she thought that they couldn't do it either because they couldn't pass the physical tests or because they would want to get married. Oh my God. Imagine. Now this, remember, this is not years and years and years of training and testing. This is like a year and a half max. And most people can wait a year and a half to get married, even in 1960. And then every single step of the way, she was there. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Why did you make that choice? That's the wrong choice. What are you doing? She was not there at the beginning. I want to say that again. And I also want to say something that comes up later. He contacted her when this all started and she didn't return his call. (laughs) So she actually didn't like the really rigid reasoning they had behind picking the women. For instance, she did not appreciate that he wanted women to have at least a thousand flight hours behind them. Because, I mean, how are you going to find women who have at least a thousand flight hours? Well, they found 18. They found 728. Oh. They initially looked at 728 women and then narrowed the field and narrowed the field. Um, And mostly, though, it sounds like it seemed as though she was questioning the portions that Jerry Cobb, the woman on this team, had come up with. I have worked with people like her. And she ended her first consultation by heavily implying that Jerry Cobb was only there for the publicity. Okay, I am 90% certain I have worked with this exact person. Now, while Lovelace did use some of her plans, like agreeing to look a little bit older and a little bit younger than the initial plan, because it had initially been 25 to 35. And then he's like, okay, I can, I can work some wiggle room in there. I can see some valid reasons for that. He was most enthusiastic about the fact that she and her husband were willing to pay for the cost of the program. <laughs> Including the women's room and board, which was $18,700 or almost $172,000 in today's money. Whoa. He did reject some of her ideas, though, like using more women because that would take too much time. And the thought that a thousand hours was too much because he's like, NASA already doesn't take us seriously. There is no such thing as a female test pilot. It is almost impossible to find women with engineering degrees. A thousand flight hours might be all we have. Although there is at least one who has an engineering degree. Uh, the one from Kansas City named Sarah Gorlick. And he did ask her, it's like, okay, fine. You clearly have opinions. Give us some additional names. Every step of the way, Jackie Ke- Cochran kept undermining anything Jerry Cobb tried to do. 
It wasn't so much that she thought women shouldn't go to space. It's that she thought, and like, this was literally every source I found. Like, I thought the source I was reading must be biased. No, every single source I found. Jackie thought Jerry was getting too much attention. In fact, after a speech at which uh, Jackie insulted a whole bunch of veterans, uh, she was trying to encourage the women in space program. And she does so by insulting a whole bunch of veterans who were at the speech. Jerry Sloan, not Jerry Cobb, Jerry Sloan, who is like besties with Jerry Cobb, was on the stage because she's another woman involved with this program. They get off the dais and Jerry, you do not fuck with Jerry Sloan. Like Jerry Cobb was actually a very quiet person, non-confrontational, all of this. Jerry Sloan was the opposite of this. And she turns on Jackie Cochran and says that she is embarrassed to be a woman in f- who flies because of, of Jackie Cochran's very fucking existence, basically. The fact that you and I are even on the same list of anything is embarrassing to me. And how fucking dare you? And, ja- and Jackie shot back, oh, you think you're going to get into the Mercury program after that? And she didn't call the Mercury program. It's called, it wasn't called that. And she goes, I'm already in. To which Jackie yelled, Jerry Cobb isn't running this program. I am. Okay, I'm just picturing her and I can't not picture Jenna Maloney from 30 Rock when you're talking about Jackie Cochran. See, I've been thinking like Emily Gilmore level bullshit. Oh. Now, Emily Gilmore, when it's seen through the eyes of Lorelai early on. As you get older, you realize that Emily, not that bad. Yeah. Especially when she gets to work at the Whaling Museum and play around with harpoons. Yeah, when you get to the bonus season of Gilmore Girls and you're actually seeing things as they are, you actually do feel for Emily a lot. Yeah, Emily- I uh, always loved her. Em- okay, uh, Gilmore Girls tangent, then we're done. Emily was the best part of the bonus episodes. Oh, by far. By far. Although Jess turned out okay. Yeah. It was lo- Jess was always going to turn out okay. Mm-hmm. And Austin and I have very different opinions on Logan. He's garbage. Logan had a chance and he botched it. Oh, yeah. So, Jackie, it's pretty weird that you think you're in charge since Jerry's been here the whole time and you've been not there. For months, Jerry Cobb and Jackie Cochran squared off. During this time, the 18 women began coming to Albuquerque for the tests, and usually they'd have no more than two days' notice to get on a plane and get there. This goes back to Randy was not able to, um, he couldn't not do his job at NASA, which meant he never really knew when he was going to have a day off. So you'd have to call these women and be like, okay, I need you here in two days. These women had spouses, children, and most of them had jobs. Now, I want you to imagine being told you have to take a week off of work at the last second at a, and you can't tell your boss why. I feel like I could get away with that, but I also have a very chill job and literally a million hours of vacation. Yeah, these women don't have that. They also have kids they've probably had to take time off for already. I have cats. Yeah, we actually have had to take time off of work for the cats. They have husbands who don't want them doing it because it's 1960. Um, But yeah, and they're going to be gone for at least a week. They can't tell their boss where they're going, why they're going, anything, anything. Now, some of their bosses do find out, as you'll find out. Some of them care, some of them don't. Um, For the most part, they tested alone, too, because of their work schedules and their life schedules. A couple of them got to either test in pairs or at least have an overlap of like a day or two. So some of them were kind of aware of who else was in the program. But that was as far as it went. They didn't know anybody if they didn't overlap with them. Now, so far, though, this probably still all sounds kind of adventurous, maybe a little glamorous, right? Yeah. In reality, they almost never saw Randy 
This was just when he was able to get the Lovelace Foundation shit all set up. He was still like having to go to work at NASA for parts of this. And they were staying at a hotel that was beyond shabby. Like if the electricity worked, it was a good day kind of hotel. Wow. The toilets usually didn't flush. And as part of their medical testing, they had to have daily enemas. Oh. So that was going on. And then after a week, they'd be sent home. And someone would, right before that, be like, okay, you passed or okay, you failed. And that was it. They would be told if they were pa- if they passed, we'll contact you again later sometime because they knew there'd have to be two more phases of testing, psychological and actual like physical testing, not medical testing right now. This is all medical. So the second person to pass the medical tests after Cobb was Jan Dietrich, who was told she was in the upper 10% of all people who went through the astronaut training program when they finally chose the Mercury 7. She beat Hundreds of men who had been tested. Remember, because they chose 728, they only wrote to 24 of them for this program. They had tested hundreds of men, and she scored (laughs) in the top 10%. Uh, Her sister Marion was the next one to pass. Even though Cochran had been like, let's not focus too much on one woman earlier, uh, when she's talking about like, don't focus so much on Jerry because we don't want that. Um, What she really meant was fuck Jerry Cobb. So she began to brag publicly about Jan and Marion Dietrich, the twin astronauts, getting them the publicity. Then Cochran said any woman interested in joining the program should write to her, not to Lovelace or Cobb, effectively making her the gatekeeper of the entire program. Oh my god. And they also hadn't ever said, we are taking submissions from the public. As time went by, it became clearer and clearer that the other women in the program were pawns for Cochran to play with, and none of the women knew it. They did not know that they were just pawns in Jackie Cochran's game. Despite all of this, the only applicant who was accepted by Cochran was Myrtle Thompson Cagle. She was a newlywed and was worried her husband would say no, so she wrote a letter in secret asking to join the program. They were impressed and called her, but she's like, I... Shit, I didn't expect you guys to actually call. Um, I guess I have to ask my husband now, who apparently said yeah. And she passed the program. She passed the medical program too. Jackie Cochran, of course, wanted to be part of the program. Um, she didn't pass her physical exam, <laughs> which Lovelace accidentally let slip to candidate Sarah Gorlick of Kansas City, the engineer that I mentioned a minute ago, who he let that slip. And then Jackie showed up and they kind of passed each other in the hallway and she heard the screaming match between Lovelace and Cochran. And Gorlick, unlike some of the others, had an actual bad gut feeling about Cochran after that. She was like, this woman is unstable. This woman is not here because she wants to advance us. She's here for her. Because a normal person's reaction, she went through the tests and she didn't pass. A normal reaction would be, oh, that sucks, especially if your ultimate goal is to be a supporter of the program, not to be in the program, which she originally was trying to do. So not wanting to be in Cochrane's debt, like Gorlick saw who Cochrane was. So Cochrane sent her a check covering her room and board for uh, her time in Albuquerque, which was not inexpensive. She never cashed the check. She was like, nope, I'm never going to owe you a goddamn thing because I don't trust you. Then there's Jerry Sloan, who I mentioned a minute ago, was another one. Whose husband, no, I mentioned told you, Jerry Sloan is loud and outspoken and a big personality. Her husband did not approve. And he was a raging alcoholic and not a nice person. So she eventually said, fuck this drunk asshole, had her husband watch their kids and went without his permission because you don't fuck with Jerry Sloan. No. This is one of the few times where there was a test pairing. She was paired with Bernice, who went by B. Stedman. 
Uh, Sloane's husband every night would angrily and drunkenly call the hotel where they were staying, trying to throw her off her game. It didn't work. She passed all the tests, including the blood pressure ones, which is kind of impressive. And she's like, okay, going home, going to go deal with this bullshit now. Got off the plane and there was a guy there waiting to serve her with divorce papers. Oh, well, I mean, he he sounded like an asshole anyway. Yeah, um, he, I think, was more of a, uh, this is my bluff, let her try to call it. And yeah, she called his fucking bluff, though, because she's now a single mom and she ends up getting out of there. As far as I can tell so far, like I said, I haven't finished everything, but it looks like she's getting out of there with her kid. Fuck this guy. Then we've got this next one. Her name is Wally. Wally Funk, who we have talked about. Wally was not one of the original candidates they contacted. She wrote to Lovelace when she found out about this and said, I should be part of this. I have, she's only 22 years old and they'd only been looking at 25 to 35, but she had literally flown higher than most of the other people involved, meaning she was comfortable at high altitudes. And she was, if any, she, this woman is like running flight schools at this point. She's 22. She's got a ridiculous number of flight hours. This is somebody they would have originally picked if she had not been under their minimum age. Because, and it's a reasonable thing. It's like, just cut anybody else underneath that. There's no way they've got a thousand flight hours. She's like, I'm a flight trainer, bitches. Um, Problem was, she was, if anything, a little too competitive and didn't want to come across as too young. So she pretended to know everything already that they would be like, they'd use big words and she'd be like, "Uh uh-huh. I know exactly what you're saying. To the point where they asked her at one point if they could get a stool sample and she had to ask them what that meant. Because she was 22. She was not, she didn't have a degree. She like didn't know what the word stool meant in this situation. So she actually finally had to ask a question. She was way too competitive at the age of 22, which remember being 22. Yeah. Um, I didn't learn to ask questions until I was like 30. And this also meant that there were things that she didn't quite pass as well as she otherwise would have. Like the bicycling test, I'd be on a stationary bike. She thought the goal was to last on it for as long as you could. The goal was to last on it for as long as you could while maintaining a certain level of heart, of like respiration and heartbeat and not get off the belt, the the bike and immediately collapse, which is what happened to her. So I don't think she failed that one, but she came pretty goddamn close. Uh, she was basically, her goal was to get the highest score on every single one. And she did not get the highest score on that one. Oh. Now, this is kind of jumping all over the place. Sorry, guys. Because, you know, when you're trying to put history into a narrative, things jump around. The women, all of them, oh, obviously Wally did pass overall. The women were invited to the Women in Space program. They all believed they were undergoing actual astronaut testing or testing that would eventually allow them to go into the astronaut program. Some variation on this meant that some or all of them were going to space they believed that. They'd never actually been told that, but calling it the Women in Space program and putting you through the same test as the astronauts, it's a reasonable assumption. Even some of the doctors on the team thought that was the ultimate plan, was to send these women into space. Um, They passed their tests. That should be proof enough. That was the doctor's perspective, is if they can pass these tests, they can go to space. Like, it's that's the logical thing. The only one who seemed to suspect anything was named Jean Nora Stumbau, who suspected they were just guinea pigs in some kind of test. She was at the minimum of the flight hours. She had no relevant degree and she had no advanced training. And so she's sitting there going, why am I here? If we were actually planning on sending any of us to space, I would not be here. Why the fuck am I here? So she was questioning all of this. 
And she goes, we must be some kind of guinea pigs in, the, in a test. They're not going to send us to space, especially not someone with my level of ability, my level of training. But she also, at the same thought, the testing must be important. There must be an end goal. So she did agree to do it. She also is another one that had a partner the whole time who was Janie Briggs Hart, who deserves her own fucking episode. Stumbo apparently didn't tell her any of her concerns and Hart thought the whole time that this whole thing was going to result in them going to space. I'll just quickly sum up who Janie Briggs Hart was. Uh, She was married to a U.S. senator from Michigan who was fully supportive of her in all of this. Uh, She had eight kids between the ages of four and 14 at this point. Ah! Uh, She was 40, making her the oldest in the program. And she went on to be a badass fighter for liberal causes after this. Like, she always wanted to go to space, but at the end of the day, she's like, I'm going to make differences in other ways then. It's like, at one point, she was like, I don't like that my income taxes are being used to fight wars, so I'm not paying income taxes anymore. You can't just do that. And she did this, she said this publicly, so they went to her husband, the senator, and they're like, so your wife's not paying taxes? And he's kind of, she's going to, she'll reap what she sows, but she has her beliefs and she has my support in having her own beliefs. And if I remember right, this is while he was still a senator and he remained a senator afterwards. <laughs> I, I'm assuming they did uh, filed separately. <laughs> then we have Rhea Hurl, who took the secrecy so seriously that she never told anyone in her own family about any of this. In fact, she never even told them that she was a pilot. <laughs> what? They knew that she sometimes flew planes for her boss. When in fact, she was doing air racing and seaplane flying. That's amazing. Like she worked at a place that had planes and she sometimes flew the planes. That's all they knew. Uh, Her parents found out by accident when they saw her in a picture in Life magazine. And they asked when she was planning on telling them. And her response was, when I was already in space. (laughs) I love her. I love her. Then we have Irene Leverton who was a flight instructor and a charter pilot. She asked for that week off and her boss said no. So she rescheduled it and decided not to ask and just tell them she was taking the week off. She went to her boss's wife and said, oh, by the way, I'm taking this week off. Bye. Um, when she got back, her job had been downgraded. She had been teaching advanced pilots. She was now teaching beginners. Despite her, okay, remember, this is 1960. Women didn't have very many hours of flight experience to begin with. Men didn't have that many. She had over 9,000 hours of flight experience under her belt. And she wow. was downgraded to teaching, you know, I think in Kansas, you can get your flight, your pilot training license at 15 or 16. That, that's what she's doing. This, um, so she was like, you know what? Fuck this shit. So she moved across the country to Los Angeles, moved in with Jan Dietrich for a while. Um, and then she finally found a job and she completely it took her forever to find a job because she didn't tell anybody she was ever involved with this program which probably would have helped her get a job she kept it so secret that uh even when somebody named wally funk was hired there they didn't really talk about any of it (laughs) so at this point it was determined that at least medically women could generally withstand the same pressures as men not all the women who were invited succeeded a couple of them chickened out which, again, remember last episode I talked about how the men were really afraid to go to space and be guinea pigs because this hadn't all been tested? These women, out of the 24, I think two, they mentioned one of them chickening out. Maybe two. And it came down to, I'm claustrophobic. I can't actually handle that medically. 
Like, I will I will have a panic attack and make it dangerous for everybody. A um, couple of them were like, I have a family. I can't do this. Um, one, two of them had neurological uh, things that showed up on tests but had never caused them problems and actually for the rest of their lives never would cause them problems. And two of them were never told why. But none of this was really because they were never with able, able to withstand the testing. They just failed an actual like medical test that you have no control over. Kind of like you can't control how many beats per minute your heart is when you're just sitting around. You can't control that unless you're some kind of like Zen monk or something. So that's the kind of testing that they were failing. While the men were all like, I'm too scared. I can't do it. I don't want to. You remember that from last week? Yeah. <laughs> So these remaining 13, who were the majority, not the minority, unlike the men who had gone through this, passed the medical round. Not only this, the Lovelace Foundation later realized this was one of the first, if not the first time in fucking history that comprehensive medical exams had been given to healthy women. Wow. Yeah. So 1960? 1960. Until this time, only healthy men had been giving comprehensive medical exams in the interest of studying the human body. Sick women were, but they would just take what they learned about men and assume it was the same about women's bodies. Now, I remember last week, they were saying, we can't let women into the program because we don't understand your bodies. Now they're saying, oh, well, we just assumed they were the same as men, so we never bothered to look at your bodies. So... The Lovelace Foundation and this pushed forward the actual understanding of how women's bodies work compared to men's. And P.S. It might be better. I mean, also look at the life expectancies. Yeah. And that's not just because we're accident prone idiots. Well, yeah. men are. We, men are not just accident prone idiots. So the tests not only showed that the women were unquestionably able to perform the same medical and physical tasks as men, but it actually showed a level of fortitude they had previously been not believed to possess. Everybody, men, women, everybody thought women are weak. Women are the weaker sex. They can't handle things emotionally. Irene Leverton, one of the, one of the 13, put it as this, quote, some men think that by not allowing me in, they become the only ones with courage. Oh. Yeah. That's so a good burn. Women aren't brave because they don't show up. They don't show up because the men are too afraid to let them in. Conversely, very few women, okay, I mentioned that, very few women who were invited backed out out of fear. Um, the sample is smaller, but statistically, more women didn't chicken out and passed. Now, if they had expanded the number to 700, 800, 900 that they actually tried to get to join it, maybe the statistics would have been different. But at the same time, these women were looking at it and going, if we don't do this, who will? While the men are like, mm, we're men, someone will do it. Once the final 13 were determined medically, Randy Lovelace asked if they wanted to continue. All 13 were like, fuck yes, we want to continue. So turned out he didn't have a plan. <laughs> His foundation didn't have the resources to test them with spaceflight simulators. And he was like, hey, NASA. And they were like, fuck off. And they didn't, because NASA didn't want them to come after things like what happened with Ruth Nichols and Jerry Cobb making them uncomfortable by coming to them repeatedly and saying, look, we can do this. And they were like, my penis is, shrink is shrink like shrinking up into itself. So, yeah, you know. They also at the, at the Lovelace Foundation didn't have the ability to do psychological testing or psychiatric testing. So Jerry Cobb was like, oh, okay, uh, let me go up the street from my house where there is a veterans association that does psych testing. 
And she walked in there and she's like, hey, Dr. J. Talmadge Shirley, founder and director of the Behavioral Science Laboratory at the Oklahoma City Veterans Hospital. You want to be involved with this? And he actually knew about the program because, you know, and Cobb herself, because he'd been reading the news. And he was like, uh, fuck yes, I want to be involved with this. This guy is like a fucking pioneer in the entire field of psychiatry. And he immediately was on board. And he actually is also one of those who goes, I don't understand why women aren't being considered for this to begin with. But he is also one of the very, very few who is testing healthy women regularly. In general, at this time, if women were being given any kind of psychological or psychiatric testing, it's because they were showing some kind of mental illness. He was purposefully testing healthy women to try to determine what was just having a bad day versus mentally ill in women. What? I know. In fact, his assistant, I I didn't write down her name, but I believe it was Kathy. His assistant was a woman. Like, this dude was like, I don't understand why we don't test women for stuff, because uh, they've got brains and shit just like men. What? I know. This is the first I'm hearing this. That's because you don't listen. You're right, Linda. Linda, listen. Honey. Oh my God, there was an entire convention here in Kansas City this weekend just for women named Linda. And I came very close to figuring out how fast it would be to change my name legally to Linda so I could go to the Linda convention. Uh, I got an update from my coworker who had a relative who went there. Uh, there were 60 Lindas. Oh my God. Was it as amazing as I can imagine? Um, it, I think it was 60 Lindas, and I'm fairly certain all of them were over 65. Like I looked at pictures from previous years. It's glorious. It is the Linda Convention. It's L-I-N-D-A, and it's got periods in between, because they made their name stand for something. But really, your name has to be Linda, I or Y, to go to this convention. I'm like, this is all I want in my life. I want a convention just for people with my name. Hey, and there is at least two other people in the United States with my actual first and last name. Because I don't use my first name on this show, bitches. It's not my first name. No. Um... Although I'm going to be on another podcast sometime in the near future and you're going to find out my real name. It's okay. Even I don't know her real name. He'll find out that day too. I can't wait. Yeah, it was really weird during our uh, wedding vows because they had he had to cover his ears during that part. I had covered our like certificate with a piece of paper. He can't know, but he'll find out I for the sake of podcasting. So one of the things that Shirley did was decide he was going to use something called, oh, Okay, this is interesting too. Oh, sorry guys. I'm just I get really excited about anything involving psychology as I'm sure you have figured out from this podcast. In 1960, psychiatry was considered a pseudoscience. What? Yeah. It was and oh, believe me, the episode I was going to do before I figured out Wally Funk was going to space last week or this week, whatever week it is. Um, it was I was going to go on a rant about pseudoscience and how we need to stop calling shit that, which it'll happen soon. But psychiatry was believed to be a pseudoscience. So despite being like well-respected, he kept was like, he was like, I have to make sure this pushes forward. So he decided to use a specialized type of science he had learned from uh, about from its creator a few years before. This is called the lily pond, lily with two L's in the middle, um, which is a sensory deprivation tank. This was in part to see how people react when all of their senses are completely shut down. And in his case, it's in part to see how they react to the idea of having your senses shut down while also experiencing zero gravity. I'll go into what these are in a minute, but let me just start with the astronauts didn't have to do this. This is a step beyond what the Mercury 7 had to do. 
Shirley was a lot like Lovelace in that he fully believed in the fact that women could be doing this. He did comparative studies of men and women in these lily ponds to see if men or women could handle these things better. Um, the Veterans Administration, remember, he works for the fucking Veterans Administration. There were like no female veterans at this point. I mean, it's 1960. There were some because they had just been allowed in starting what at this war? Yeah. Um, and they were like, wait, you're testing women? The, the ones with the W-O at the beginning? And then he said, yeah. And they were like, that's weird. Carry on. So the Air Force has been like, fuck you, everybody. We're not letting women do anything. The Veterans Administration is like, huh. okay, I guess we can test women. That's yeah. fine. Um, and so about this comparative testing and going ahead with it, regardless of what anybody said, even though he was allowed to, Shirley said, quote, there was a blindness to the fact that women and men were different, but that difference didn't make women inferior. So they assumed generally different equals less, but it just means different. So basically, Lovelace had determined women were physically fit enough and uh, they were started, they showed him that they were mentally fit enough to go to space because they had been willing to go through these medical tests, one of which basically involved freezing your eardrums. Shirley was going to show if they were actually as brave and strong as Lovelace thought. So they did IQ tests, occupation tests, and the, oh shit. Oh, there it is. The Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, MMPI, which was the primary uh, personality test at the time, see, to, to see what was up. Even Shirley himself was like, these tests are limited, but these are what we have. Um, Cobb also took, in addition to these, a Rorschach test, an EEG, neurological exam, psychiatric exams, and did a full set of psych therapy sessions going from her childhood through adulthood. Nobody else underwent all of this because Jerry Cobb was there the longest and Jerry Cobb had nothing else going on. So she was like, this is is what I do. Cobb spent more time undergoing all uh, psychiatric psychological tests than the Mercury 7 astronauts had to, basically. Then there was the isolation test, the lily pond. Now for the male version, they were put in a dark room for two or three hours. That's it. That's it. Uh Uh-huh. They were in a dark room. Remember, guys, I told you earlier, some people went crazy during this. Men lost their literal minds and became violent after sitting in a dark room for two or three hours. And not just that, like most of them got through it. Most of them did not become violent and stuff. Most of them got kind of bored. Several of them fell asleep. John Glenn cheated. How do you cheat an isolation test? Yeah, how do you cheat at being alone in a dark room? Yeah. Um, well, remember, it's a dark room, so they're not watching him. So they're not like... And they also didn't think, huh, maybe we should also have this room be empty. Like, uh, having a chair in there is understandable, but that's it. So they turn off the lights and leave, and he kind of was like, okay. So he starts walking around, which again, a lot of them walked around. He found a desk. And he's like, oh, weird. So he starts going through the desk drawers and he finds a notepad and he had brought a pencil in with him. He spent the next few hours writing lists like grocery lists and shit and poetry. (laughs) Oh, please tell me the poetry survived. It did. Yeah, it's out there. Um, I didn't write any of it in here, but it is around. 18 pages. You went on for 18 pages. Front and back. <laughs> I don't know if he went front and back. Um, now, whether this was because there was the room actually wasn't pitch black or because he followed with his finger entirely, I'm not sure. But no matter what, John Glenn cheated. And by cheated, I mean found a loophole because it was NASA's fucking fault. Yeah, you left it in there. I mean, you, you didn't it. say he couldn't. But Cobb is going into a tank. Now, 
I actually have in brackets in here, explain what these tanks are. So here we go. These isolation tanks. Um, you'll have, if you want to look for one in your area, call look for the term float tank. They are the bomb.com. Holy shit, they're amazing. Now, if you watch like documentaries and shows on them, usually it'll be like some dude on LSD explaining to you how these work. Don't listen to the dude on LSD. I mean, that's just good advice for life. You go into a room. There is a tank in there. There will be a very nice person who walks you through how the tank works. If there's not, you can leave at any time. So I had one of those tall dudes who probably has done LSD at some point, but he was not on LSD at that moment. Show me the tank. Show me where the emergency stop button was. Show me how to open the door. Showed me like there's and showed me where to find the light. All of this stuff. Um, and I actually said like I'm a little claustrophobic. Like if I open the door, does the session end, or I'll just have some more space? He goes, no. He's like, nothing will end unless you leave. It's like, or if you press the emergency button, we'll come in and get you. Um, so what it is, you step into this tank, and the tank is uh, depends on where you're doing it, of course. But for me, it's probably I'd say six six by eight feet. And it is filled with water that has Epsom salt. It's about the density of the Dead Sea. So when you float in it, you are truly floating in it. You cannot sink. And they turn off the lights and it is completely soundproof. There is no smell except for you and some salt. There's no light. There is no sound. There is no smell. There is no taste. There is nothing. It is just you and nothingness. Now, during this time, a lot of people have hallucinations. A lot of people start thinking the deep thoughts. Some people like me just go to sleep. Because <laughs> guys, like I've mentioned before, I have really bad back problems and severe insomnia. This helps with both of them. Um, so, and yet you don't have to be naked in them. You can be. It's just like getting a massage. You can wear a bathing suit. I mean, it'd be weird to wear a white bathing suit to your massage, but you know what I mean? You don't have to be naked. You can be. Most people choose to be. And you don't have to be naked, but I choose to be. It's like, that's really just good life advice for everything. Except for going to McDonald's. Don't do it there. The hot oil makes that a bad decision. That's why you wear an apron when you're cooking. <laughs> you're not the boss of me. Yeah, but the boss at McDonald's has asked you to leave. God, I thought this was America. So yeah, if you just need a chill experience where you can pretend the rest of the world doesn't exist for an hour or so, go float. The rest of the world really does just fucking disappear. Um, so before this, people um, who went to these kind of had like spiritual experiences, some exper experienced like these forgotten memories. Dr. Shirley, being a real fucking scientist, even did it himself several times so he would understand what was in there, what it actually physically felt like. And um, he said that... If he tried to stay in there for more than four hours, he would be too preoccupied with the things that had come up in his own mind that he'd be unable to function for the rest of the day. So his limit was four hours. And this is a fucking doctor who specializes in this. And it was widely believed, although he had not seen this officially yet, that people could lose their minds in there. Because one of the things that, that people do start to realize during this, and I didn't write this in, but I read it aloud to Austin earlier. Um... And this is one of the reasons they think a lot of people start to kind of go a little crazy during this is they start to realize that they're alone in there and they can't blame anything else on the thoughts that come up. So the real monsters are inside them and they can't escape. Oh. Yeah. So there is no evidence anybody's actually ever gone lifelong crazy and went because of one of these, but it can be helpful in both recognizing and addressing your trauma as well as reliving your trauma. But, you know, I have diagnosed PTSD and I think these things are great. So... So this place is completely sensory de uh, deprived. You feel like you're weightless. Um, this is the second tank constructed in the entire world. 
And the only way to monitor what is happening inside is a microphone because they obviously can't put a camera, anything else will require light. So they have a really sensitive microphone in there and the women know about this. And they were told, you can talk. Like, they're like, it's not weird if you talk. People, like, it makes people feel more comfortable. Um, It could pick up even just, like, slight breathing. Every sound got picked up. Most people did choose to talk during it. Um, And they said, we will only come in if you have, and, like, you cannot speak to us because we are not there unless you want out. If you want out, just be like, I'm done. Let me out of this, out of the space. We'll come let you out. Most of them did just talk to themselves. Cobb. Um, uh, people had varying reactions while they were in the tank, everything from boredom to terror. Most people said that it was a positive experience. The record at the time was six hours for staying in the tank. Cobb lasted nine hours and 40 minutes. Ah! Only leaving when her observer was like, I have to go home now. Uh, also, many people had had monologues the entire time. Uh, Cobb only reported on physical sensations that she was having, like, I'm a little uncomfortable right now. My neck is starting to have a crick in it. My feet are at these at these specific angles. They had two pages of what she had said. By comparison, a journalist had done it recently, and they'd had like 12 pages from what he had monologued about the whole time. Um, she reported no hallucinations, which is unusual. Uh, although she said she had a dream, and when she woke up, she made an active effort to not think about the dream. The dream wasn't anything bad. She just didn't want it to disrupt what she her calm state that she was in. Then Rhea Hurl and Wally Funk, who overlapped by one day and were both thrilled to see someone else, Hurl lasted 10 hours in the tank before the person observing was like, seriously, I have to go home. And then Wally, my girl Wally, 10 hours and 30 minutes, completely silent the whole fucking time. What? She is a badass. And again, only ended because somebody wanted to go home. (laughs) Um, when writing up the budget for the rest of the program, because this is what he got through, Shirley was like, shit, there's no name for this program. So he gave it its first name, which was Project Venus, which I think is a pretty solid name. Yeah. Uh, the press is actually what named it the Mercury 13 later because the Mercury 7 were there. But calling it Project Venus makes more sense. Then came Pensacola. So remember, this has been Albuquerque and then Oklahoma City. Pensacola is supposed to be stage three. That is when the actual astronaut testing is supposed to happen. Well, um, the other women were basically trying to get their lives situated so that they could unexpectedly take off again. Cobb, of course, is just, this is my life, and is going through all these testing. And she passed all the tests, all of the available tests that she was um, able to do, she passed. So Cobb, without consulting with Lovelace, wrote a letter to James Webb, who was the NASA administrator at the time. And said, hey, bitch, look what I fucking did. So you're going to let me in the space program now, right? And like the other woman, when they pass, you're going to let them in too? Um, well, she and Webb were soon seated next to each other at an event in Tulsa. But they didn't have a chance to speak. At the time, uh, Cobb was the only one who passed all three phases of the testing because life got in the way and some NASA stuff happened. Oh, shit. That's later. Um, what the hell happened? Sorry, something got deleted in here. So I'm going to be I'm going to be just going off the, t- off the cuff because I know what happened next. Um, so basically he gets up on stage after they didn't get a chance to talk and he actually starts kind of going off the cuff, just like I am now talking about this woman in space program that's going on. That's not a NASA thing that they know about it, but he would really love to introduce their note their newest consultant, Jerry Cobb. Jerry Cobb had never been asked to be a NASA consultant. <laughs> Randy Lovelace 
had never been told Jerry Cobb was being brought on as a NASA consultant. So this woman who's running this Women in Space program is suddenly a NASA consultant because you can't just say no, especially when it's been announced publicly. So on the one hand, it's very exciting for her. On the other hand, fuck you for doing it this way, bro. Because at no point does she suspect this could be an attempt to undermine the Women in Space program. Whether or not it is, we'll find out later. I genuinely don't know. <laughs> God, we're turning into a radio drama. <laughs> no, I told you, this is some like reality show soap opera shit. Um, well, this pissed Jackie Cochran off because you knew this bitch was... Oh, okay. All this time, Jackie Cochran had been trying to get Jerry Cobb to come talk to her and like undermine Jerry Cobb every step of the way. She wanted Jerry Cobb to come and like be brought into her thrall and be convinced to give Jackie Cochran leadership. I am so impressed with Jerry Cobb did with this. Jackie Cochran would invite her to her mansion because Jackie Cochran, of course, lives in a mansion that in 1960 had a heated outdoor pool on its own grounds. So and there was a crystal sculpture in the fucking bathroom. What? Yeah. So she All kept- we have is some wonderful needlepoint in our bathroom. Yes, we do. Uh, she kept inviting Jerry Cobb to her house, which meant that she would have home turf territory, uh, home turf advantage. While trying to convince Jerry Cobb to give over everything she wanted, Jerry Cobb would have something come up at the last minute every single time. And so, you know, Jackie Cochran would have spent this time into getting this event together and Jerry Cobb would beg off at the last second. Now, that is a fucking power move right there. Um, so after additional a fut- futile attempts to meet with Jerry, like they even were staying in the ho- same hotel at one point. It sh- and they were in, I don't think they were even in America at this moment. It should have been really easy to con- to like, you know, corner her. So she sent a note to Jerry like, I would like to meet with you. And Jackie was like, okay. Or J- uh, Jerry was like, okay. And then Jerry was like, peace out, Girl Scout. Left a note at the front desk and left. Um, so Jackie Cochran went to her husband and said, he's being really mean to me. And he's letting Jerry Cobb have everything I deserve. So her husband, that big donor, remember in Hamilton when there's that line about how Hamilton wrote Burr a list of 30 years of disagreements? Like an Sweet itemized, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Itemized list, which is actually a Parks and Rec reference, not something that actually happened. Um, that is basically what this letter was that Jackie's wife or Jackie's husband sent to Lovelace. An itemized list of all the things that made her angry. And, um, well, if you're not going to let her do whatever she wants, she's taking her ball and going home. And so Randy responded with, okay, um, yeah, so when this first started, she wasn't even in the country. So her saying that she's been the most influential man involved, like, basically not true. And also just FYI, because I know you know this, I knew where she was and I contacted her. And she never returned my call. So Jerry's been here the whole time. Your wife couldn't return a fucking phone call. So no, she's not going to get everything she wants. No, I am not going to make sure that she is the head, the headliner and everything. P.S. I have no agreement with Life Magazine to keep running stories on us. They're just doing it. And I didn't know that Jerry was contacting James Webb at NASA. So no, none of this has been me fucking over Jackie. But if Jackie doesn't want to be involved, I guess that's up to her. But I'd still really like your money, please. Yeah. Well, so a week later, Jackie reached back out to him and was like, oh, no, we're best friends again. It's fine. I was just having a really bad day. Um, But, you know, we're good. You should really talk to NASA, though, and convince them to give that consultant job to someone else. I'm not saying who, 
just another you know, woman that you know would be really good at this consultant thing that could consult NASA. Just not Jerry. I'm not suggesting anyone. Just, just not. You know, maybe me. No, I'm not. I'm not suggesting anyone. God damn it! I've worked. With Jackie is something else. So ultimately, there is major backstabby drama that happens over the next several months while the women are trying to get their shit together to go to Pensacola. Um, and then at the last second, right when things are about to get started, Jackie Cochran backed out, which fucks them over big time, um, among other things. So for instance, the women are rearranging their entire lives around this Pensacola thing. Despite knowing that the jobs didn't exist for women, like in tech, especially then, uh, Sarah Gorlick quit her engineering job at AT AT&T in Kansas City because they weren't going to give her the time off to go to Pensacola. Um, Jerry Sloan did peace out on her husband and was in the middle of a divorce. Her dad had a heart attack. Like all this shit was going on. She wasn't even able to be training like she should have been. And she was still planning on going to Pensacola and just finding someone to watch her kid. Myrtle Cagle almost lost her chance to go to university because of this. Uh, Jean Stumbo had to quit her job teaching flying. The others are all rearranging their lives so they can train and train and train and train. And then they all got a Western Union telegram from Randy Lovelace. Regret to advise arrangements at Pensacola canceled. Probably will not be possible to carry out this part of the program. Phase two. No! You slammed that cover shut with authority. Yeah. So you all can see, because we're at an hour now, why I'm intending to split this into three parts. Oh my god. Like, we're at our usual episode length. No, we're not. Yeah, that's true. We were at our intended episode length when we started this, and then it's morphed into, we're just going to talk until we're done. Yeah, so I started reading something that happens later. But, um, yeah, so a lot of it comes down to backstab, backstab, I'm not here to make friends, bullshit. God, this, and is, it, you're, the, this is reality show bullshit. Well, and the women involved didn't even know they were being used as reality show contestants. Oh my god, this is the real Housewives of NASA. Uh, don't put that on them. They are way much. More, they are way more than housewives. I mean, they're going to come back from the grave and kick your ass. Other than the ones that are still, will, yeah. that, still alive, um, which I think there are two. I'll have to double check. Wally, obviously, I want to say Sarah Gorlick is the other one that's still alive, but I'll have to verify. Wow, man, I hate this cliffhanger. Why are you doing this to me? Yeah, so that was all the information they had, though. They'd all quit their jobs and been rearranging their lives and uh, canceled. Probably won't happen. Bye. No! And they don't know why yet. Goddamn patriarchy. Yeah, patriarchy and Jackie Ockery. Yeah, d- there's a villain in this story. Like, a straight-up yeah. villain. Oh my god. We teach- we, like, we're here to talk about history, guys, and there's almost never a straight villain. Like, no, this is like- this is like a historical like narrative. Like I've seen this movie. Mm-hmm. Like this. Actually, no. I believe there is a movie from a couple years ago. Oh, so maybe you have seen this movie. Maybe. No, I know there's Hidden Figures, which has a very like similar storyline, but they had to make it up. But this one just has it. I mean, Hidden Figures is halfway, its own thing. It's its own thing. It's part. It's part reality. It's mm-hmm. part not reality. Yep. Um. Although in that case, didn't you notice that they made like the white men a little bit more heroic? Yeah. Like there were things that they that they interviewed about. They're like, yeah, no, that, that never happened. That never happened. <laughs> it's like they that might. It's like that might have happened, but I don't think anyone cared. <laughs> and meanwhile, unless we got Jerry Cobb, who was like really pushing for him to just bring in some lady from South Korea, so at least they'd have at least one non-white person there to prove that, like, look, and it's not just white people. Uh, and he was like, uh, yeah, it's, we need an American. Sorry, because they didn't exclude people based on race. It's just the number of flying hours was the issue. 
Yeah. All right. Um. So I've talked for an hour. Oh, Your turn. It's and, my um, turn. Can you imagine how much people have been hearing the bed kind of like squish around as we like shift and adjust? Yeah, we have like. A, it's, I'm, we're sorry about the weird recording situation. Hopefully, I can fix it in post. We'll see. Yeah, it's just it's our air conditioning is now off. Our fan is off, and so it's really hard because guys, like it's a heat index of like 105. It's yeah. hot in here. It's getting hot in here. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not about to get in a float tank, so the clothes are Damn staying it. on. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and get started on mine. So, I must be in some kind of mood, because I'm just going to talk about art again. God damn it, you for the last week, every day, I have been showing him things and yelling, is this Dadaism? And he's just now mocking me, because he knows I don't understand art. Well, don't worry, this time, it's much, much simpler than Dadaism or anything. I'm talking about a sculpture. Just one? Well, two, but it's uh, it's it's the busts of the one I'm talking about specifically <laughs> is the busts of four former U.S. presidents. Okay, so you're not talking about the statue of David because no. there is one fact I know about the statue of David because that's that's the one I'm thinking. About, His right? ankles are weak and he could snap at any moment. No, that's not what I was gonna say. So, but I'm talking. I'm, I am thinking about the right one, right? The one that's kind of like it's really tall and it's really tall and he's got a penis. Yeah, they have measured and publicly released the measurements of every part of his body except for his penis. That is the one thing I know with the Statue of David. How dare they? They all know that's what we wanted. Yeah, but at the time, a small penis was more desirable than a large one. This is a- Why do I know these things? So anyway, yeah, I'm talking about a statue that is for the faces of four presidents, uh... That has been carved into a mountain in the literal middle of nowhere. And isn't it sacred to Native Americans? Oh, we're going to get into that. Okay. Uh, sorry, guys. I've, I'm taking some ibuprofen if you're hearing a noise. Had a headache for two days now. It's not ibuprofen. She's doing hard drugs. She's taking LSD and then she's going to go float. <laughs> no, seriously, though, if we won the lottery, I'd be like, Austin, can we put it in a float tank? Absolutely. Oh, my God. It'd be awesome. Replace the bed, the float tanks. Um, if we could replace the bed with CAT scan or MRI, because um, it turns out, guys, I'm not claustrophobic. I actually just fall asleep. And now I'm talking about ibuprofen in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about Mount Rushmore, which, you know, we all kind of know about it. I mean, we've seen pictures of it. If like, I'm, It's a big mountain. It's got George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln carved into it. It's in South Dakota. It's on their license plate. And this is why a lot of people think that Abraham Lincoln was one of the founding fathers. Yeah. Well, and Theodore Roosevelt, also not a founding father. No, but nobody recognizes him when they look at that statue. And so I, like, I've been to Mount Rushmore. I'm sorry. I hear it's really boring. And it was mostly kind of, yeah, it was mostly kind of boring. I've I've heard that it's kind of like, half the time you can't see it because of the fog. Um... And it's kind of a Paris effect for a lot of people as they get there and they get really disappointed. They don't have like like the psychotic episodes yeah. that people have when they get to Paris, but... Yeah, so I was on a uh, church youth group trip. And oh we, God, this whole thing had, is terrible. Oh, and we had been camping and we had been hiking and for the few days before this. And it was like, hey, why don't we drive to Mount Rushmore? Because we're close by. If I was close by, I think I'd stop. I and don't think I'd make it a purposeful we trip. We were close by in the sense that it was a long-ass drive. Like, we still needed to stop and do bathroom breaks, long drive. Uh-huh. And that was mostly because of all of the traffic of people going to Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I've actually heard it was kind of great during COVID in some ways. Yeah. Because, like, they had to limit the number of people who could go in at a time. Yeah. And people could actually see it. And So, we got there. The parking lot was absolutely packed. There were RVs 
everywhere. I feel like you should have to buy tickets. Like, now that the internet is a thing, I feel like not buy even necessarily, just reserve tickets and have staggered start times and shit. I feel like that would help with this kind of thing. Yeah, and we get there, and it's just a visitor center slash gift shop. And they've got, like, a few little exhibits about the making of it. It's all cutesy and historical. And there's a couple of trails that go to different viewpoints for the mountain. And there's a big observation deck where you're supposed to look at it that was just covered in people. Just This was just a few years post 9-11. So everyone was decked out and patriotic as hell. And they were all clearly bored out of their minds. But they had to pretend they weren't. Because if you were, if you were bored, then my god, you're not a real patriot. You know, and maybe you'll get into this, but I can't imagine Teddy Roosevelt would have liked this. Oh, no, he probably would not Because have. Teddy Roosevelt was, like, very nature-oriented. Yeah. And, like, destroying a mountain to put his face on it and be like, what the actual fuck? Yeah, I he was a complicated guy. I don't know if he would have liked it or hated that. Uh, yeah, Teddy Roosevelt is a weirdly common topic of conversation in our house. Yeah, he's he's complicated. Well, anyway, there was actually a member of the Lakota tribe there, tribe there who, uh, was worked with the parks department and would give like presentations and talks about his culture. But we showed up too late and missed that part, which Uh was like the one like interesting thing I didn't want to see. And then they played the national anthem and they lit the mountain after it got dark. And then everyone immediately rushed to their cars because they wanted to see the lighting ceremony. And then they rushed off and we had to deal with another big traffic jam as we tried to go back down and get to civilization and by the time we got back to anywhere, it was 10 o'clock and we were all hangry, so we had McDonald's. And were you naked at the McDonald's again? No, I was in a youth group. Even though, uh, inter- interestingly enough, uh, the one like really memorable part that I remember about this is a member of our youth group flashed Mount Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, enjoy cutting down that sound. Okay, are we talking about a guy or a girl? Girl. So this was when you were teenagers. This yeah. wasn't like an eight-year-old, right? No, we were, we were, we were teens. We were all in high school, and she flashed Mount Rushmore. You were going on church youth group things when you were in high school. Yeah. Until what age? God, I think I was a junior when I finally said, "You can't make." Wait, me do you met one. me your junior year. Did I save you? I think you might have saved. You might have saved me from Christianity. <laughs> I I never wanted to go on these, but I was just forced to. I hated them. But you got to see Mount Rushmore get flashed. It's true, yeah. She just And I'm sure you were just watching for the mountains reactions. Yeah, you man, were not looking at the boobs. Let me tell you, like Ab- she flashed Abraham Lincoln and like the great emancipator was like nice. Out of okay, isn't he I mean, obviously it's not in but the best taste to assume things about historical figures and try to out them, but isn't he one of the few that's assumed to potentially have been gay? Mm-hmm. Yes. So like flash Teddy Roosevelt, man. Help you do it. Yeah. George Washington would have politely looked away, but Jefferson would have been like, gimme. It's like And then you'd have been like, uh, she is fifteen, and he'd be like, and because so, Jefferson was gross. Jefferson was gross. So like yeah, that was my experience with Mount Rushmore. It was mostly boring, and then there's a weird story about a youth group. <laughs> yeah, have you have you been to Mount Rushmore? Were you ever yeah. Have you ever been to Mount Rushmore? That's in a Dakota, right? Yeah. I've never been to a Dakota. I have met people named Dakota, but I'm pretty sure they are not part of Mount Rushmore. Yep, she met my cousin, Dakota. You have a cousin named Dakota? Yeah, we've been <laughs> over this. Wait, is, I'm so bad with names. I don't, like... No, we, I don't. Okay, thank God. <laughs> so mean. So, yeah, there's, like... So, I was thinking about Mount Rushmore, because, like, we learned a little... There's some controversy around it, like, you know, with the Native Americans... And, but we don't learn a lot about it. So I wanted to look into it and see what more I could learn. Well, there's a lot. 
And some of it's actually kind of cute. Like, there was a minor league baseball team that while was formed by the people who, like, worked in the construction of Mount Rushmore. For the entire time they were constructing it, they had a baseball team. They were the Rushmore Drillers. Oh, that is cute. And the sculptor... Okay, who did they play against? Other teams in Deco- the Dakotas. And, like, places with, like, baseball teams would travel around and they would come and they'd when play... Was this? This was in the, uh, like, 1917 to about 1941. Oh, uh, so my grandpa would not have been a minor league player yet. Yeah. I and think he only played in, like, the, what was it, Missouri-Oklahoma-Kansas yeah. League? Yeah. So there was, like, leagues of minor league baseball teams. And the, well, anyway, the sculptor and his son would actually hire people just to play baseball. Like, they'd hire seasonal workers who were just good at baseball so their team would win. Okay, that is way better than being, like, a migrant worker and having to, like, yeah. pick fields and stuff. And, like, migrant baseball players. Yeah. And more importantly, uh, being good at baseball was a resume requirement. That's awesome. For working at Mount Rushmore. That Well, it, they got to fend off zombies, too, I'm sure. Oh, Got to yeah. get rid of Sasquatch. Sasquatch. Are there Sasquatch in Dakotas? I don't think so. What cryptid is there? What cri- Okay, get, convince me to go to Mount Rushmore based on the cryptid that would be nearest. I have not researched that, but I will do this immediately afterwards. Okay. And so, yeah, there was that. But then there's some not good stuff. Some very not good stuff. And I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off. With the one that most people know about, and that is that uh, big parts of the Native American slash indigenous community want it gone for a whole variety of reasons. First of all, it is on a sacred site to the Lakota. It was called the Heart of Everything That Is. Oh. And we carved some dudes onto it. Uh, And dudes who are pretty okay with wiping them out. Yeah. And secondly, uh... They were granted the land in 1868 in the Fort Laramie Treaty, but we found gold. Of course we did. And prospectors did not honor this treaty and were invading their land and pushing forward. And American lawmakers were encouraging it and doing nothing to stop it. And eventually uh, the government had completely forced them off of the land by 1877. So this treaty lasted nine years. Sorry, I'm just now thinking about the fact that they just realized that um, our entire county might be a gravesite. Oh, yeah. The, um, if you're familiar with the stuff going on with the, uh, the, oh God, what was it? The, the, the indigenous schools in Canada, we had a similar situation here. And there's reason to they, believe we've got some mass graves also. They were starting to investigate federally run schools across the country. And then they were like, wait a second. What about that Johnson guy in Kansas and his Methodist schools? And that is about 15 minutes away from us. And they think there might be dead indigenous children. Hundreds of dead indigenous potentially children. hundreds. Also, our entire county is named after our fucking slave owner. No wonder we don't remember what side of the war and we were more, on. And also, like... Our schools are named after him, too. And, oh, my God. So, yeah. By the way, uh, in 1880... <laughs> yeah. Back on topic. In 1880, the Supreme Court actually awarded $105 million to the uh, Greater Sioux Nation um, as kind of reparations for, yeah, we didn't honor that treaty, so here's $105 million. Uh, the Sioux rejected it. Yeah. And they said, no, we'd rather have our land back. So that money is currently sitting in a bank account, and they can claim it whenever they want to. Which, uh, by the way, I looked at some stuff. Approximately $1 billion worth of gold was extracted from that territory. And that's just one individual resource. That's not counting all the other metals, the land, the grazing, the timber, the gas, the oil. So at the very least, we owe them a billion dollars. At the very least, we owe them a billion dollars. Because it was their gold. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't really know what they used gold for, but I'm sure they used it for stuff. 
Because yeah. we were never taught that in school, but the gold was found on native lands consistently because everything was native yeah. lands. They must have used it for something. They knew it was there. <laughs> we have a cat who really <laughs> desperately wants in. Which one is it? It's probably Gigi. So guys, remember early in the days of the podcast, we would have cats that would come in and erupt. And now we're seeing little white paws come underneath the door. Aww. If the scratching starts, I'll let her yeah. in. So and then here's the third thing. So they weren't particularly happy about this. And there was like, you know... We learned about, you know, all the various Indian wars that happened in the territory at that time. But there was also more recent stuff. Like in the 70s, there was a series of protests in which they tried to occupy, which uh, Native American groups tried to occupy Mount Rushmore. So they tried to go live where they belonged. Yeah. Like they're, like, they, would, they it was like trying to occupy your own house. Got yeah. it. Um, yeah. Uh, activist groups would actually climb Mount Rushmore and they set up camps on top of it peacefully in protest. Yes. And they wanted it to, it's like, hey, we want our land back. Like, this is our territory. We should be able to be here. We have this treaty. You signed. You need to honor it. Yes. Well, um, park rangers and the police arrested them en masse and destroyed their campsites and supplies. Nice Uh, guys. A woman who was there said it was exactly like what we saw at Standing Rock. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, nothing's changed. Mm -hmm. Also... Again, you met, you find this, but the presidents themselves who are on on this mountain are problematic for various reasons. You know, George Washington uh, was the Iroquois called him town destroyer because of his policy of total destruction and devastation of Iroquois settlements in upstate New York. But I thought George Washington never did anything wrong. He did lots of stuff wrong. Oh, believe me, I've got a I've got an episode in mind. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, there's an entire book about it that's actually pretty good. I read it. And then there was Jefferson, who uh, laid the foundation for stealing native land and really kind of pushed the westward expansion and all of that stuff. But it was entirely to find mastodons. So go back a few episodes. (laughs) Yes. And listen to why we now own a big chunk of the country. It has to do with mastodons. And Teddy Roosevelt. Well, there's I'm going to quote him directly. Uh, from an 1866 speech, and it really kind of sums up uh, their problem with him. Um, I don't go so far as to think the only good Indians are dead Indians, mm-hmm. but I believe nine out of every ten are. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that's not good. Uh, he was a also a very big believer in the idea that white people were inherently superior to everybody else, and that's why we that's why we should be running everything in America and getting rid of you because we're just better mm-hmm. by our very nature. Mm-hmm. And then we have Lincoln. Uh, Remember, Austin, we're not supposed to say anything bad about him. Well, this is um, what some of the activist groups have claimed about him. That's like, you know, he did do a lot of things. He preserved the union. He like, you know, was, was involved in emancipation. He was a good president, but. He also signed off on the execution of 38 Dakota in Minnesota in the largest mass execution in American history. Why? Oh, yeah. So uh, they had done a small uprising because in Minnesota, they uh, their treaties weren't being honored. People were stealing their land. They had been pushed off their stuff. Uh, they had a bad year with farming. They hadn't had a lot of access to food. So they started raiding and they got into a fight with settlers and about 500 settlers died and about 150 Indians. Mm-hmm. And then the U- the U.S. military came in and crushed it. They arrested a lot of them. A lot more fled to the Dakota territories. And then um, some were pardoned, but 38 of them were convicted of treason and executed. How can it be treason if you're not part of this nation? Yeah. And, of course, 
Then when the Civil War ended and there was actual treason, but they were white people, just mass forgiveness. It's fine. Let bygones be bygones. Sorry about the war. Oh, well. Yeah, Lincoln's an interesting historic figure. We should actually, like, dive into him at some point. Yeah. So, to summarize, uh, we dishonored a treaty because of gold, uh, stole the land... Uh, massacred civilians and desecrated a sacred site by carving 60 foot high busts of men that personally led a genocide of indigenous people, uh, of various indigenous peoples. It's not a great message. No. And you can see why a lot of people are very upset about this particular statue in a, in a park. It's, uh, yeah. And when you learn about the man who, who sculpted it, it gets worse. So, uh, Gutzon Borglum was born in 1867 in Idaho, and he studied art and sculpture in both America and in France. Oh, so he fancy. He was very much influenced by statues like the Sphinx and thought we need to have these big, just massive scale carvings in America too. That's what he was pushing for. And he's most famous for Mount Rushmore, but he also sculpted a bust of Lincoln that is currently on display in the Capitol. Okay. But... He also worked on another large mountain carving, uh, Stone Mountain, Georgia. All I know about that is that's where Kenneth and 30 Rock was from. Oh, it's so much worse than what you think. Uh, It is a Confederate general monument carved into a mountain uh, that the Dodgers of the Confederacy commissioned after uh, they really agreed that the birth of the nation was a wonderful movie and we need to make this to honor the Klan. And... After this movie came out, clan membership skyrocketed, and when Borglum was designing the sculpture, he made sure to include include a clan altar at the base of it as a part of a way to help fundraise it by getting the clan members to help sculpt make this mountain into a sculpture of Stonewall Jackson, Lee, and another one because Confederate Wait, generals. Is it basically Rushmore just with Confederate people? They're on horseback and it's carved into a mountain. You can see it. Okay. It's like, you can look up a picture of it. I wouldn't give it the traffic, but it is an abomination. It is real ugly. Like, I've been to Georgia a you, couple of times, but... You would not have gone to Stone Mountain. No, You're, like you're not a white way. supremacist. You like, have no reason like to go there. I this is out of the way. No, it's near Atlanta. Right oh, outside it? of Atlanta. Oh, because it sounds vaguely familiar. I'll have to see what, what route I took to get there. Oh, yeah. Don't go there. It's bad. Now, so... We know that he was getting the clan to help fund this project that he'd been commissioned to work on. And we're not sure if Borgman was actually a member of the clan, but he attended lots of clan events. Uh, he hung out with a lot of clan members. He went to clan parties and he moderated disagreements between various members of clan leadership. So he was involved. And he frequently... Oh, kind of like how I learned the other day that Harvey Milk wasn't technically a member of Jim Jones's church, just attended them a lot. Yeah, this is a very similar situation. And he would also praise the clan frequently. Uh, in correspondence, um, I'm just going to paraphrase this because I don't want to say what he said, um, that the clan saved the South from Negro domination and carpetbagger rule. I'm trying to remember what carpetbaggers were. They were northerner, northern businessmen who were coming into the South to buy land or just, yeah. Okay. It's just been a long time since I've heard that term. Yep. Or that he also called immigrants slippered assassins. Uh-huh. And America was becoming an alien scrap heap. Neat. 
he would also then refer to the Klan as a fine bunch of fellows. Well, I mean, what was it Trump said? There are good people on both sides or something? Yeah. I'm so glad I'm trying to forget what he said. Yeah. Oh, he is too, because I don't think he's there mentally. Trump or this guy? Because I'm hoping this guy's not there mentally. He was. This guy was there mentally. Trump. No, I'm, I'm talking I, about now. I'm hoping he's not. Well, he's super. Well, he's super dead, as far as we know. Yeah. Oh well. Are we sure he's not Trump? Oh, I'm gonna get into it because there's some fun, there's some fun rumors about his death. So the Rasputin thing. It's it's weirder. So uh, in a letter that Borgman wrote to a the Grand Dragon of Indiana, which by the way is not a real dragon, it's just a sad little man. Oh my god, so I went to a comedy club once to watch uh, a friend of my ex's quote-unquote perform. It was bad. It was really bad. Um, so it was us, and then the majority of the audience was a church group from a black church. And one of the comedians who got up there, his entire set had to do with the different names they give the different levels of mastery within the clan. Ugh. And that church group... You could see, and you could see the guy was being, was uncomfortable, and it wasn't funny to begin with. Um, the church group was so nice about it. They kind of, they wouldn't laugh or clap. They would also not, you could tell they were uncomfortable, but they let him do his thing. They politely clapped at the end. I was ready to punch him. Yeah. <laughs> I think I remember this bit, because I got drunk there, too. Oh, God, were you there? I'm so, uh, with, the, with the note cards on the, on the, on the little yeah. thing, and he kept walking back to his fucking note cards. Yeah. Oh, if you can't remember the basics of your set, don't be a comic. So again, I'm gonna I'm summarizing and paraphrasing this the, in his letter to this grand dragon that really the only cause of moral decay in America was that we brought not white people into this country. The cat scratching at the door. Oh, it's zombie and Gigi. They were very upset. We had the door closed. All right, so we've got two cats in here with us now. Yeah. And now they're confused because I reclosed the door. <laughs> and then I'm just going to read one line from this diatribe that the cargo had eaten the very moral fiber of our racial character. Neat. Yeah. Well, luckily, uh, after 10 years of working with him, the uh, Daughters of the Confederacy and the Klan got fed up with him because he was an artist and they fired him for disloyalty offensive egoism, and delusions of grandeur. They called themselves the Grand Dragon. Yeah, and he was too extra for them. So um, he, in a fit of anger, smashed the model that they had been working from and then fled into the night. And with very good luck on his timing, they started, constr- they, they found him. It's like, hey, we want you to carve Mount Rushmore. And so in 1927, he started doing that. So who hired him for this? Uh, some people in the Dakotas who wanted to bring tourism in. And they knew about the South Stone Georgia? Oh, yes, they did. And this is why you check your references. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to get into the, a, a weird little thing here just because I found this and there was no good spot to put it in, but I'm just going to go into it. Uh, Borglum carved a secret chamber into Lincoln's head. Okay. Yes. This secret chamber is in the Nicolas Cage movie National Treasure 2. Why are you putting a cat in my ear? She wanted to climb on my lap and then freaked out. <laughs> See, guys, this is why... This is why we have a studio. <laughs> oh, here she comes. Oh, she's on my lap. Okay, this is going to be fun. So, 
Yeah, he wanted to store America's relics and documents in it, like the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. So this like, is real? Important stuff. He wanted to do this, so he started carving it. And he wa- imagined it like a big Egyptian tomb with a grand entrance on the top. It'd go down, and it would contain all of the information about America. Because, you know, what if, like, you know, in a thousand years, people find this because civilizations collapse? And it's like... Who are these men? Why are they carved into a They're mountain? They're the Nasarima. So that way we could look in and find out who this actually was and know the history. He didn't want this to be like another Sphinx or another Stonehenge where we don't really know what's going on. Well, uh, Congress told him to no, cut that out. It's but like, he was we... trying to! <laughs> it's like, stop carving this. We just want you to do <laughs> the faces. You're over budget. It's been way too long. Stop it. Just finish carving it. So he kind of continued it in secret a little bit but he never hit the grandeur of scale that he wanted see in my head he was trying to make the mountain from the austin powers movie with dr uh dr evil yeah dr evil thank you well um in 1998 though they decided the project of like you know what this is already carved into lincoln's head we might as well use it so they copied a bunch of important american documents like the declaration of independence the the constitution onto porcelain tablets and also included a teak box with information about the carving of Mount Rushmore and biographies of the various presidents on Mount Rushmore. And they lowered them into this hole and sealed it with a chunk of black granite, which doesn't match the surrounding rock. So it'd be super obvious something's there. And there's a little, like, you know, plaque in it with a quote from Borglum, which was way too long for me to put into this. So in my head, because the tablets are porcelain, they are made by the Precious Moments Company? They probably were. <laughs> Now, um, visitors are not allowed up there due to safety concerns. And despite rumors, which, like, I found a couple of sources that were saying this, and I almost put it in that I thought, this is too crazy. I'm actually going to look this up. Uh, Yeah, he was yelling. and Normally, I'm the one who's yelling. Borglum is not entombed in there. He is actually buried in Los Angeles, and his grave has a bronze, like, replica of Mount Rushmore on top of it. Scale replica. It's not full size. So, to summarize, we have a sculpture that is dedicated, that is desecrating a sacred site on stolen land from a dishonored treaty that, that put, that it's, uh, that is a people who victimized a culture we stole land from, uh, sculpted by a white nationalist who may or may not have been in the clan, who worked on a horrifying giant racist monument in Georgia. So, this is a weird one. America. America. But they had a baseball team for a few years. Yeah, that's the thing is, the guys who were building it just needed a job. But the, yeah. like, they didn't know this whole history. Yeah, they're like, they're like, the the stories about like the guys who were working on it carving it are kind of cool. Because like this was, for the time being, and for like a construction site, it was a good place to work. They were concerned about safety. They were doing things right. And because they all loved okay. baseball, he would park his car and turn the radio up really loud. So that the guys working could hear the baseball game and they could, like, yell up scores to people. Okay, here's my question, though. How did they make it? They carved it using jackhammers and dynamite. How did they make it so that the dynamite wouldn't blow up stuff that they were, like, they needed? They were very good at it. Like, that's, I've never understood these massive sculptures and how they're able to do it. Like, how many people died making this? Because there's zero. Gotta, zero I don't people understand. Died. I don't, is this Dadaism? <laughs> Kind of, yes, but it's... 
just because it's all absurd. But everything absur- is absurd, so everything's Dadaism. Thank you. You finally are saying yes when I when I explain to you why things are Dadaism. But if I if I said no, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been what? Yes. They don't know that we know that they, they know. know. <laughs> are you ready for your questions? Yes. All right. Well, the fact that Lincoln had 38 Dakota executed for the same shit that the Confederates did that they just pardoned them for beyond the test? No. Uh, well, the fact that Washington was called Town Destroyer by the Iroquois beyond the test? Uh, yeah, we can't, so we're not allowed to say anything mean about Washington or Lincoln, and Jefferson's kind of a gray area. Yeah. You're not allowed to say anything remotely negative about a president from pre-1960. Yeah. And will the fact that the Greater Sioux Nation rejected a $105 million settlement just because they'd rather have the land back in what is undeniably a baller move beyond the test? When was that? 1980. So, like, it's not even accruing interest at this point? Like, I mean, it might be. It's it's sitting in a bank account. So I mean, I I'm not saying I disagree with their choice. I'm saying that $105 million is, like, even less now. So yeah. get your shit together. Yep. And well, the fact that Nicolas Cage didn't lie to us, there is a chamber in um, carved into Lincoln's head beyond the test? That, my friends, is Dadaism. Nicolas Cage. I worked him into an episode... I feel like my work here is done. So where can people find us? Well, they can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the test pod on Twitter at on the test pod on Instagram at on the test pod and our website on the test pod.com. Yep. And we are always excited when we get a new review or a new subscriber or anything like that. So rate review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your enemies um, only leave us five star reviews because I mean you've made it this far in the episode. Why are you still listening if you don't want to give yeah. us a five star? Also, it's really mean. Or give us six stars. Just you can do it. We believe in you. Yeah, somebody hack into iTunes and just draw a little six <laughs> star on your phone on, screen on your, with a sharpie and then tap on it and hope magic is real. <laughs> I think that you should hack into iTunes and make it so that only we are capable of getting a six star. <laughs> And <laughs> give us six stars. The ghost of Steve Jobs is coming to get us. I can hear him right now. <laughs> oh, come on. There's no way he can find us. He's using Apple Maps. <laughs> and we have no working Apple devices in this house, so he'll, he'll never find us. Never. Although I will say, folks, those of you who are like, but I don't have an Apple device with which to do this. Borrow someone's. Yeah. Um, like you all have old relatives who don't know how their phones work. You can just do it. Or if you, uh, like me, have made the switch from Apple to Android, A, you might be regretting it, as I still kind of am. And B, you probably didn't get rid of your old Apple device. That means you can plug it in, go onto the little iTunes thing, give us a review and a rating, and just unplug it. No one ever has to know. Yeah. Although I really hate that you can't do it from their website. That seems dumb. Yeah, it does. How unjust. Yeah, so give us all the reviews and all the subscriptions. Um, oh, we are on a new platform now. It's called Good Pods. Um, Good Pods. I'm opening my phone, make sure I have the name right. Yep. Good Pods is, it has a little yellow lo- logo. It's got a pair of headphones on it. Um, and it's kind of just all podcast and it's kind of like a podcasting social media site. I just got on it myself, so I'm trying to figure it out. But we are on there, so if you use Good Pods or if you know someone who does, they can find us on there. We are there. All right. Um, 
And I really need to do dishes because I can smell dinner through the walls now and I need to make <laughs> that smell go away. Um, well, I can it, was smell- really, it was really good. It was balsamic pork, yep. I think. Yeah, it was, uh, it's like, yeah, balsamic vinegar pork. It was good. Yeah, but I need to make the smell go away. So I gotta go. I guess on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.